labor strongest when we work together. So even with COVID and we're apart, there's so much we can do to mobilize this year. We have, with the help of state fed, we have people able to call from literally anywhere. We have some of our members writing postcards through their locals. They're participating in text banking from their own home. I feel like where there's a will, there's a way. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. On this podcast, I'm talking to Jen Puja. Jen is Labor Council Director for the Westchester Putnam Central Labor Body, AFL-CIO. She's a union organizer and activist. She's been recognized by several organizations over the years for her leadership and was most recently singled out as a rising star among Labor's 40 under 40 list by city and state. And just last year, she ran her own successful political campaign, becoming the youngest woman ever elected to the White Plains Common Council. And Jen is on the line with me now. Hi, Jen, and welcome to the Union Strong podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Darcy. So first, congratulations on your election victory. Thank you so much. What I didn't mention in the introduction of you is that you're also a wife and mother of two young children. And I point that out. Because sadly, there were those who questioned your decision to run for office because you have young children. Can you talk to me about that and your reaction to that concern? Yes, um, sadly, it was true. At first, there were some people that were skeptical, wondering how I would ever manage running the labor council, my own household, and a successful political campaign. But I grew up in a household um, with a single mom who was always working two to three jobs. And she chose to like advance her career and go back to college when my sister and I were small. So I was always growing up around that hard work ethic. So I looked to it as being a support for my mom when I was a kid. And so when I ran for office, my son was three, my daughter was five, and they wound up being my biggest supporters. They Mm -hmm. would come with me to kick off the labor walks. They would help me put postage on the postcards I was doing. So for those that questioned it, um, it was a family decision for me when I decided to run. And for anyone that had questioned the family aspect of it, I'm sure I am very confident that I proved myself. And what a great role model now for both of your kids, your son and your daughter. Thank you. So what definitely I'm wondering what you were hearing from people while you were out campaigning, like what were their priorities then? This would have been last year. And have those priorities changed when you're out campaigning? you know, helping to campaign for others headed into the general election? Rewinding to a year ago, the main priorities were creating opportunities for family, seniors, and youth, for continuing progress in our city, and for being their voice on the Common Council. You know, now with COVID-19, fast forward a year later, and now that I'm into office, um, just about 10 months, the main priorities that took the forefront besides those three our food security, Mm -hmm. um, health and safety. And I would also say um, the the quality of life for the residents of our city. And you got a lot of support when you were running from the operating engineers and labor in general. What kind of difference did that make, having the labor movement behind you during your campaign? It's so true. The labor movement made all the difference. As a labor council director, I remember last year we attended my, some of our vice presidents and I, we attended the Northeast Regional Conference and I had the chance to take the workshop on electing union members to office. Mm -hmm. 
I had a chance then to see the labor candidates program firsthand. So my international, as well as my local, local 30, they were a dream team when it came to my campaign. Um, I was also very proud that our national AFL-CIO highlighted two campaigns last year. One was mine and the other one was the Kentucky governor's mm -hmm. race. And one of the biggest things that stands out to me was last year, I remember seeing the true meaning of solidarity when my international, um, our general president had sent me one of uh, my union brothers from another local. And he flew out here just before my primary win. And he became a strategic part of my campaign. We became great friends. And it was amazing to actually see that show of solidarity. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky to have our board members, our delegates, my local union apprentices, everyone helping out together for the victory. And when you talk about your local, so you were a member of the operating engineers? Yes, I'm a member of the operating engineers local 30. And what, how, how is that? Like, how are you a member of, of the operating engineers? In what capacity? Sure. So when we came on, when I came on to the labor council in 2007, I was a part-time employee, and then they hired me in 2008, first as their office manager, at which time um, the former business manager of IUOE Local 30, Jack Ahern, who since has passed, was one of our WPCLB vice presidents. So Jack was instrumental in helping me become a union member with Local 30, and that was back in 2008. And you, did you grow up in a union family? I did. So everyone in my family is a union member, except for my dad. I grew up in a household living with my grandpa, who was a sheet metal worker, and my grandmother, who was with UFCW. My mom was a, a teacher. She just retired two years ago. So she was a NYSET member. And um, I come from a huge family of all union members. That's fantastic. So you have the advantage, too, of having been on both sides, a labor activist working on campaigns and a candidate yourself receiving the support of labor's grassroots campaigning. So recognizing the process is a little different this year because of the pandemic. What do you see as labor's strength when it comes to getting out the vote? That's a great question. So I always felt labor's strongest when we work together. So even with COVID and we're apart, there's so much we can do to mobilize this year. We have, with the help of state fed, we have people able to call from literally anywhere. We have some of our members writing postcards through their locals. They're participating in text banking from their own home. Mm -hmm. I feel like where there's a will, there's a way. Our own labor council process here, as far as endorsement or recommendation, has grown so much over the 13 years I was here. We're at a point where we have up to 90 plus candidates that are seeking labor's support mm -hmm. and it holds weight and it holds value. Um, and that's something that you can't buy in an election. And so now you're in your first term as the youngest woman ever elected to the city common council in White Plains. And that's something that we're often talking about in labor, getting younger people involved in politics in general and getting younger people involved in the labor movement. Do you see sure. a renewed interest from younger people wanting to get involved both politically and in the labor movement? I definitely do. I think that for the labor side, when I think back to the no con con, that brought mm. so many people together for an issue that wasn't political. And we really saw our strength and proved ourselves. 
once again. Mm -hmm. And I think that became a renewal and people were energized to continue to organize and to be more involved. I saw that here on a local level. And politically, I, I definitely think younger people are getting more interested and inspired to step up because it is stepping outside of a comfort zone. I used to tell our delegates here, get involved, like have a voice, you know, join your local co-op board, school board, town council. Mm -hmm. And it all came full circle when they said, well, what about you? And that's where I, I, you know, finally decided to throw my hat in the ring. But if I can inspire one young person to dream a bigger dream, because I took this step, it's, it's well worth the effort. And, you know, that's something I wanted to ask you, too, is um, I you know, talked about what motivated you. But what it was that kind of like this light bulb went off when you're sitting there telling people this is what you should be doing. You said, wait, what am I doing? Did, did it come to that? It did come to that um, for, you know, for years. Many Alps and CLCs are encouraging their members as an initiative to get you know, get labor a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And so it, it literally became a time when I had delegates ask me why I never tried. And at first I actually had to think about it. I'm like, hmm, never really thought about it that way. So then I thought, you know what, I can give this a go. And if I'm lucky enough to be victorious, which I was, at least I can help people in another capacity. Well, that's great. And we know from past elections, the sway that labor, you mentioned CONCON, the, the sway that labor has when it comes to getting people elected and defeating the Constitutional Convention, another example. How would you encourage your fellow union members to get involved in this election with just a few weeks left to go? Right. We are truly under the wire. And there are so many ways with mobilization opportunities through our state fed, thank you, <laughs> through um, local labor councils or area labor federations, through their local unions. So there's ways that you can safely participate in getting out that union vote to your family, your friends, your membership. And one of the biggest ways is to vote. Mm -hmm. So this year we have early voting starting as soon as October 24th. People can vote absentee, you can vote in person, regardless. I can't stress enough that people need to vote like their life depends on it because it does. This general election, it truly does. We have to do what we can to hold on to our union values and to actually support candidates who support working families. And any advice uh, for anyone listening who might be considering entering politics? I mean, you got to have a little bit of a tough skin, too, right? <laughs> yes, you sure do. You have to have that tough skin. But there's so much good that comes out of it. And it makes you such a stronger person and you learn so much. I've always been a lifelong learner. And I think that having the opportunity to have an open mind can truly be the way for others and to, and to pave the way for change. Well, that's great. And Jen Pooja, you're doing a fantastic job out there in Westchester and Putnam, that region of New Thank York you. State. We really appreciate it. Labor's fortunate to have you. And I'm sure I can I can hear you bring that same energy and dedication representing residents in White Plains in your newest role as a member of the Common Council. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Joining me now is the chief of staff at the New York State AFL-CIO, Ryan Delgado, who is also the political director at the State Fed. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, Darcy. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me on. 
uh, we're approaching the home stretch here. Yes, definitely. And we just uh, heard from Jen Puja talking about the pivotal role that labor played in her own campaign last year. What are you seeing across the state in terms of our labor 2020 campaign? Uh, well, first off, Jen is doing a great job advocating on behalf of working people in her role as so executive director of the Westchester Putnam Central Labor Body, um, which was what made her candidacy for public office so exciting. And we know the difference she's making in government. And I'm happy to say we're seeing that same excitement and urgency in elections across the state right now. Um, from the presidential ticket down to the state legislature, we're seeing people get active, you know, albeit virtually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New York, there are 213 seats in the state legislature that are up. There's 27 seats in Congress um, that they're all at play here. And we've endorsed in many of them. And I'm happy to say union members are actively working to get our endorsed candidates elected. So talk to me a little bit about what's at stake for working people in general in this election at the state level and at the federal level. And it kind of, you know, the, they are combined that that concern. Sure. Um, you know, it's so important that when union members fill out their ballot, they, they look at these through the lens of the issues and not personalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the pandemic right now, uh, you know, we have representatives in D.C. who are supposed to be fighting for us. They're supposed to be fighting for our members, but they're voting against relief efforts for New Yorkers who have lost their lives and livelihoods. Uh, we have members who are essential workers who have sacrificed so much, and we have whole industries uh, near 100 percent unemployment. How can they vote against their constituent interests? And that's what's at stake. Um, we have members of Congress who voted against the PRO Act, which would finally give workers who want to form a union a fair shot. Right now, through rollbacks in the courts and an effective LR- NLRB, uh, workers' voices are being silenced by their employers who trample on their rights. That's something that the outcome of these elections will help determine. And right. there's a whole host of important issues at the state level. I mean, we're trying to protect education and healthcare and vital public services and investment in infrastructure. And all those could be on the chopping block in the wake of the pandemic and the economic devastation. And those issues are directly linked, like you pointed out. I mean, we need federal aid mm-hmm. um, that will help you know, address that. But we also need our state legislators and uh, policymakers to step up as well. And the pandemic created challenges this year, obviously. So how has labor overcome those challenges? And I'm talking about not necessarily being able to do something that's a real strength of ours is having that face-to-face meeting. How have uh, we been able to overcome those challenges in educating members about labor's endorsed candidates? It's true. I mean, we're facing the same challenges that everyone who's doing campaign work right now is facing. You know, it's the, that virtual non-contact um, precautions that we need to put in place. But the one thing we do have that's an advantage is, you know, we have two and a half million members across the state. That's a network that no one else can replicate. Um, and we're going to put the health and safety of our members first before all else. So we're relying on the virtual means of contact. You know, we have volunteers, as Jen spoke about making phone calls and sending texts. We're con- contacting them on social media and the internet. We're sending mail. We're holding virtual conferences. So it's a challenge for sure, but we're fortunate that we have so many means of communication that don't rely on physical contact right now. And our, our member volunteers are taking advantage of them. And I've heard you talk about this before. There is really some value in be able to 
call someone and, you know, look, let's be honest, a lot of us would rather not get calls from someone we don't know. But when you're able to say, hey, I'm calling from the, you know, this, the AFL-CIO or the, you know, the central labor body, once they know it's union member to union member, that makes a difference, right? It's absolutely true. I mean, you know, there's that affinity there that it's it's something that unites us when you say that you're a union member and that um, you belong to that same federation. It helps bring us together. And I think it does make people more welcoming to the message. So we often hear from our critics that labor only endorses Democrats. So I'm wondering if you can address that by talking a little bit about the process and determining which candidate gets labor's backing. Sure, we have a long history of endorsing members of both parties, but it's it's undeniable that we endorse more Democrats. Um, but just as I asked listeners before to look at the issues when they're voting, our decisions are made by a very long, small, de-democratic process that's also centered around the issues and involves bringing you know candidates in to talk about the issues. Uh, we have members of all of our affiliated unions that screen candidates. And there's multiple uh, steps in the process for them to to express their voice and be heard. But at the end of the day, again, it comes down to issues and records. You know, if you look at one race, uh, New York 22, the congressional seat that's currently held by Anthony Brindisi, uh, you know, he has a 90 percent AFL-CIO voting record. He's running against the same candidate that he unseated two years ago, who during her time in office had a 28 percent voting record. In reality, these decisions have made for us by the positions candidates take and the votes they make, not the letter after their name. So, you know, that's what we do. We look at their issues. We look at performance. And that's how we make our decisions. Right. And we're always pointing out, too, that it's, you know, an individual's decision on how they vote. But at least we can put forward that, you know, we can show them what they're doing for working people or not doing for working people. So and then for members uh, who do want to get involved, what opportunities are there in these final weeks leading up to the election? Well, Jen emphasized it, too, and, you know, you just brought about as well is no matter who you're voting for, the most important thing is to get out and vote. And more than that, right now, it's about making your plan to vote. You know, it's been shown that people that plan out how they're going to vote uh, in terms of the process of voting, they're more likely to exercise their right. So personally, I plan to use early voting. I have a date, a time, a poll site. It's all noted in my calendar when I plan to go vote. If you plan on voting by mail, do it as soon as possible. If you plan on voting early, pick your day, time, and location. And if you're going to wait until election day, decide what time you're going to go. Is it going to be before? Is it going to be after work? How are you going to get there? Just make sure you plan that out. And then certainly, you know, as we talked about earlier, the importance of members getting involved uh, to talk to other members. We're going to have opportunities for virtual phone banks and other non-contact opportunities now through election day. And I urge members to take part and, you know, uh, be part of the solution here. And they can find those opportunities if they visit nysaflcio.org slash vote, where they can search for opportunities for candidates in their area and beyond uh, just by entering their zip code. So we hope uh, the listeners will take advantage of that. Right. And there's also a lot of information um, that our digital director, Kevin Eitzman, is always updating as far as you know, what you ran down, the timetable of how and where to vote and uh, our candidates that we endorsed, all that information's on there as well. So Ryan Delgado, thank you very much for joining me on the Union Strong podcast. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for having me again.
Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State unions strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysafl.cio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.